We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 NFC North player previews. Team previews going team by team, position by position to figure out who are the best fantasy players that you want to draft this season. If you like the episode, or even if you don't, smash the like button. Either way, subscribe to Mayo Media Network and you tell me where you think Aaron Rodgers is going to start at quarterback in week one. Is it for Green Bay? Is it for Houston? Is it for Denver? Is it for Vegas? Is it nowhere? He's just going to be sitting out. I want to know what you guys are saying about Aaron Rodgers for the 2021 season. You can also subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast for audio podcast you hate watching on videos want to put it in your phone and be on your way everything is down in the description the newsletter is down there as are the previous division preview shows we've been through five divisions so far we got two more coming next week then it's rankings time for the season plus i have two huge announcements coming very soon one is going to be very good for anyone out there who likes to customize their own data but doesn't want to go to 18,000 different sites. Something easy to use, it's going to be great for you. Uh, You're really going to enjoy it. And if you've ever thought about getting into the fantasy football industry or are in the fantasy football industry and just want a paid, bigger platform, do I have an opportunity for one of you, maybe even two of you out there? So stay tuned to all the Pat Mayo Experience and Mayo Media Network news coming out over the next two weeks because you might be very, very surprised about what is happening. Joining me on the line right now, an old dear friend of the show that I have not talked to in so, so long from Established, The Run, ETR. It's Mike Leone who's doing everything about football these days. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. It's great to talk to you again. Like you said, it's been a little while and ETR is going great, doing a little bit of everything over there, messing with the data behind the scenes, doing some podcasts with Levitan and Silva, got the Establish the Edge podcast going. So it's absolutely a fun time of year. You've been doing like different series too, like almost sort of like the series that I'm doing, you copycat, breaking down each of the teams, each of the players. (laughs) Yeah, I just started a series with Ben Gretsch that's it's, it's a little bit of a nerdy series. It's very projections oriented, kind of like how we go through projections and like the range of outcomes for players and how to turn that into actionable information, whether it's for DFS, fantasy, prop betting, that sort of thing. So that's on the Establish the Edge podcast feed. 
All right, everyone, go check out the Establish the Edge podcast feed right now, but not before you subscribe and like the video, okay? Let's start with the Packers, because that's where the most question marks are going to be. As of right now, Aaron Rodgers is their starting quarterback. They do not have a win total on the board at DraftKings Sportsbook. They do not have playoff odds on the board at DraftKings Sportsbook, because they don't want to hang a number, and then Aaron Rodgers for sure plays or for sure leaves, and they're absolutely screwed. They are minus 121 to win the division, 8-1 to to win the conference, 16-1 to to win the Super Bowl. So at least those odds pretend like at least Aaron Rodgers is going to be the starting quarterback week one and play all season for the Green Bay Packers. So that's how we're going to operate. So let's start with him. Do you think that he ends up playing for Green Bay? I do. It's you know obviously a dicey situation. I have a bet with Ben Gretsch actually that Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback for Green Bay week one. I'm a little worried he's going to weasel out and win this bet where Rodgers ends up staying with the Packers, but maybe they don't have stuff worked out by week one. But yeah, that's my best guess right now is that he's with the Packers. So when you're doing early fantasy drafts and you're trying to even do projections for some of the Packers players, obviously that's, is it creating a value that you've seen on both Rodgers, Adams, Aaron Jones, that people are just a bit hesitant with, with all things being equal. If Rodgers is on the same tier as let's say Russell Wilson in terms of a fantasy quarterback, that people are just going Wilson hundred percent because they don't want to have to deal with Rodgers. So for me, I think Rodgers is kind of overrated from a fantasy perspective. They just ran so hot last year in terms of scoring and efficiency. I think, you know, he takes a step back this year, even if he's with Green Bay and he's not, you know, hugely mobile at this point in his career. And there's a big range of quarterbacks there that have the passing, rushing, dual threat upside that I don't see the value there. With Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, it gets really interesting though, because Devontae Adams with Rodgers there is the clear number one overall wide receiver. He's, you know, in the mix in the middle of the first round, right after the top five running backs, if Rodgers is there, he's starting to slip to the middle of the second round in some drafts, the end of the second round. And at that point I'm pulling the trigger, you know, the first round I'm probably there's, there's so much risk that I think he's, I think he's more dependent on Rodgers for his fantasy value than Aaron Jones. I put it that way, you know, just the way those two line up with, Rodgers is, you know, pass rate by the goal line. Adams catches so many of these short touchdown passes that aren't really typical of your average NFL offense. I think, you know, he would take a big hit if Rodgers wasn't the quarterback. Whereas Aaron Jones, if Rodgers isn't the quarterback, the ceiling gets tapped because just the scoring potential of the offense is down, but they might rely on him a little bit more. He's a really efficient runner. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. So I think both guys right now, if they, they start to slip into the middle round two or later are good values. It's that first round where the draft capital is just so, so important that I'm a little hesitant. Like you almost have to be fully assuming Rodgers is the day one starter if you're taking them there. Well, Rodgers right now in your ESPN and Yahoo and CBS, like early, early drafts, he's now being drafted as quarterback number seven. That's in between Herbert and Brady. But since June 1st in high stakes leagues, he's going as quarterback number 10 in between Jalen Hurts and Matthew Stafford. So... Is there a buying opportunity there? Although he is overrated in fantasy, once you start getting him at pick 95, something like that, like when I ran my projections, he still came out as quarterback number nine. So that sounds right about where he would be going. Or are you just siding with quarterbacks who possess huge rushing upside? Because I think in that range, Jalen Hurts is the guy that I want. 
Yeah, I have Rodgers more like QB 13 with some risk baked in. And if he was fully healthy, it'd probably have him behind Hertz anyways, maybe more with Brady. Like I think Brady and Rodgers are pretty comparable. So unless you're getting a really big discount, even Joe Burrow, I think the Cincinnati offense has a lot of upside. Uh, I think they're going to throw just an absolute ton and they have the weapons to be pretty successful, even if the team isn't that good overall. I think Ryan Tannehill has some underrated upside if they throw a bit more with the addition of Julio. He's got such good weapons. They're going to put up points. He's got some rushing upside in terms of the goal line play calling. I think he ran for over five touchdowns last year. He gets some freebies with the play fakes to Derrick Henry. So once you get past those guys, I'd probably take Rodgers. But I, you know, I think they're all close enough that I'd shovel that risk off to someone else on Rogers. And then if he fell to QB 13 or so around Stafford, that's when I'd pull the trigger. Would Rogers be better or worse on Denver? I think he might be better, believe it or not. You know, this Packers team wasn't super pass heavy last year. They were just crazy efficient. They scored a ton. And Denver, if you look at the weapons they have, obviously you lose Devontae Adams, but in terms of depth of weapons, like that's always been the issue with Green Bay. You look at the receiving courts, it's Alan Lazard and Marcus Valdez-Scantling again. You know, they add Amari Rogers, who's like somewhat interesting as a rookie, but Denver, you've got Jerry Judy, who's one of the better wide receiver prospects in the draft last season. Love him. Cortland Sutton returning from injury, who seemed like a star in the making. Even KJ Hamler is a rookie who had some success last year and I think has some big playability. And then Noah Fant at tight end. Like this is a pretty loaded team in terms of weapons, like all across the field. So I think he, I think that fantasy upside would be a little bit better with Denver. So let's say that happens. Rodgers gets traded. Jordan Love is the starter for the Green Bay Packers. What does Jordan Love look like as the Packers starter? I have, I have no idea. We, I, all I have in my mind is the uh, horrific training camp videos from him last year. And it's hard to uh, push that bias to the side. I don't know if he'd be very good. I'm concerned again, that he's not going to align with what Devonte Adams does well to the extent that Rogers did. And what is that, that offense struggles if you're not relying on Devonte Adams is 30 plus target share guy. I think he's still going to get peppered with targets, but it's not going to be as successful. And again, the depth of weapons aren't there. So I think this could be a pretty boring offense. I think Aaron Jones is so explosive and is going to get so many touches that he'll be you know, more or less fine. But overall, I think it's tough sledding. Jordan Love does have some rushing upside, but I, you know, I don't think I'd be drafting him, even if we knew he was the starter in the top 20 quarterbacks or even, I mean, he might even be outside of the top 25 for me. So yeah, you take Tua over Love at this point? I would definitely take Tua over. I'm a, I'm a kind of a Tua stan. I think we're, we've been too hard on him for last year with some of the issues coming back from a pretty severe injury. And, and he is loaded with weapons. I mean, you just look at the weapons on Miami versus Green Bay in terms of the receiving options. You've got Fuller. You've drafted Jalen Waddle, Devontae Parker broke out, Jasicki's, you know, inconsistent but high upside tight end. So I actually like to, uh, you know, as an underrated upside type guy. So would you go like Daniel Jones or Jordan Love? Because I would go Daniel Jones. I think like, I think like this, I, I've got Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins, like QBs 22 through 24. And I think I'd take love after those guys. So maybe before, right around Sam Darnold, I'd probably take them.
I would even probably I would probably take Sam Darnold with his new complement of weapons and not yeah. be you gotta factor into your projections. Not being with Adam Gase anymore works for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, even maybe right after him. I think like Derek Carr is so boring. Like I don't think he's gonna win you any leagues. And like at that point, I'd probably take a shot on love. But that I mean, you're getting really deep there, especially for a one quarterback league. Like that's like that's not drafted in most one quarterback leagues. So you keep bringing up Aaron Jones. Looking at the uh, average draft positions of some of these Packers running backs uh, in like the more public leagues out there, Aaron Jones is going at running back number eight in the higher stakes leagues. Again, with just the last month worth of info since June 1st, you're looking at Aaron Jones going as the 12th running back off the board that's pick number 16 so he's fallen behind Najee Harris and Nick Chubb Cam Akers and Austin Eckler those are the guys that he is ahead of when you look at CBS and Yahoo and things like that uh but then you also see like AJ Dillon going in the top 35 of running backs it feels like it can't be both ways on this and maybe they do run the ball a ton but I I don't know what to do with Aaron Jones I've never really known what to do with Aaron Jones the the move should have been just draft him and play him all the time but i didn't do that so i'm good with passing on him again this year unless he becomes like a tremendous discount yeah i mean it's hard to get a handle on aaron jones because he's an efficiency type player and a lot of times we're fading those types of players they haven't given him a huge workload at any point i do think losing jamal williams is low-key important where you know, AJ Dillon isn't your prototypical pass catcher and Jamal Williams did get worked in like on those third downs at times where if we can get Aaron Jones with a target share in the mid teens, which is very possible. He did it for stretches last year. I think there's a really big upside, you know, even if he's like half the carries and 15% of the targets that that could look really, really good at the end of the year. So that's kind of why I'm bullish on him in the high stakes where he's drafted. So I probably have him somewhere between the more public ADP and the high stakes ADP, you know, around running back 10 or so like him a little bit more than, you know, cam acres in full PPR, just because I think I'm getting a bit more receiving upside and half PPR standard scoring. I'd probably still go with acres. And as far as AJ Dillon goes, in the 30s, that's rich. Uh, but once you start getting in the RB 40s, you're right that they're probably both not going to hit. But the upside for Dylan, if something happens to Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers is there, is that this is someone that's just going to be a highly efficient runner and, and score a bunch of touchdowns, right? Like, like the touchdown upside for AJ Dillon, I think, is much higher than a lot of the players around him. Everything would need to break his way. So he needs to be on that tier with some of the other guys that I do like that are just going later than him. Like AJ Dillon's going around, honestly, like both bills running backs right now. I'd probably still rather have AJ Dillon. Sorry about your, your mighty bills, but I don't want any of the running backs, Leone. So now I'm looking at Kenyon Drake, Gus Edwards, Latavius Murray, Tony Pollard. Like, I think that's the tier that he should be in, but he's not, he's above that. I, I agree with that. That's the tier he should be in. And some of those guys, I even have a little bit ahead of him. I have him like RB 43-ish, uh, maybe a little bit higher in half PPR, like because the pass catching upside doesn't seem like it's there. But one of those players where a lot of times we're assuming he's not a pass catcher because he didn't do it in college, but he wasn't really ever asked to do it. So, you know, maybe there's a chance he can catch some passes, but he would he would need the the injury for Aaron Jones to really hit. So let me tell you, let me ask you if these 
numbers sound right to you when I ran my projection. So I have Green Bay at a 40% rush rate, uh, 34% rushing TD rate as an overall team. So that gets divvied up into I have Aaron Jones at 61% of the carries uh, of the team uh, as his market share and 12% of the target market share in the passing game. I do have him at 64% uh, of the rushing touchdowns, and maybe that's the number that gets skewed, and maybe that's what's leading to this. But if you just run those numbers, which seem especially the target share. Like if you're thinking about upside, that certainly isn't it. Maybe I'm overestimating it a little bit, but 64 per, 61% of the carries, 12% of the targets, that would make him running back six in my projections. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds a little rich. If he gets that, you're really, really happy. I've got him similar target share as you. I, I was a little conservative on the rush share. You know, if AJ Dillon picks up a bigger role, maybe part of the reason why like, I'm still optimistic on AJ Dillon having some standalone value if he just runs hot on touchdowns i have it more like 50 percent of the carries to aaron jones and then about a third to aj Dillon, and then the rest kind of spread out quarterback and third running backs and whatnot so that's where i have it but i really think the target share has the upside to get into the mid-teens which is part of the reason why i'm still drafting him like rb10 or so because well, that hits yeah, if if everything comes to fruition, he could have major upside for a guy that's falling down the board. I just readjusted his rushing share to 50% and his TDs on the ground to 50% of the team. That knocks him all the way down to running back 11. Yeah, I, and I think that's, I think it's running back 11 with some upside. So, you know, to, to be right bordering on the top five. I know we had some conversations before the whole Rogers stuff about like Aaron Jones versus Alvin Kamara, you know, and I, I was on the Kamara side, but it was at least a debate in the, in the ETR projection circle. So the upsides there, the concern too with Rogers is the volume is going to be okay. But again, he's an efficiency dependent player, you know, if teams don't have to worry about the Rodgers to Devonte Adams connection, what does that do to him? Cause I've got him at like five yards per carry, which is like, that's, that's high for a running back expectation. I think it's very reasonable. You know, he's been above that, but if you're, you've got Jordan Love at quarterback, not Aaron Rodgers, and you're drafting someone assuming five yards per carry, there is some room to be disappointed there. Let's move to receivers. Devontae Adams is going to be wide receiver number one. As long as Aaron Rodgers is tethered to that team, you're going to see a 30 plus percent market share, which is insane. And it's just going to continue. Plus his red zone usage cannot be overlooked. And I feel like every single year people make the case that, oh, he just can't catch this many red zone touchdowns. The touchdowns have to regress, but that's just a part of their offense is using Devontae Adams near the goal line. And again, this is why I think he's more susceptible if something happened to Rodgers because those aren't normal goal line plays for an average team. And if he was on another team, you might agree that the regression gods would come and get him and zap his touchdowns for this year. But as long as Aaron Rodgers is behind center, we know how he calls plays by the goal. Like those are very intentional, deliberate plays. They aren't fluky red zone touchdowns. So I'm with you. I mean, he's got the potential to see 200 targets, you know, in a 17 game season, like it's out of control and the touchdown upside, like he can score a touchdown a game. This is why it's tough if you're drafting high stakes right now, or even casual leagues, you know, Devontae Adams, that one, two turn, I haven't been drafting him quite that early at the one, two turn. I've been waiting, waiting for him to slip a little bit more. You know, when I draft like middle of two, grabbing him on the way back, but I mean, he's got absurd upside. Like he can, after McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook, I think if you knew Aaron Rodgers was healthy, 
and you didn't want to build a running back to start, you could make the case for him as high as three overall. I don't think personally I'd do that, but like he has that type of profile if you're a wide receiver early drafter. His biggest comparables right now in high stakes drafts last month, he's going on average pick number 14. Diggs is going number 15. Is Diggs just safer knowing what we know right now? Or does the upside still just lean so much towards Adams if everything breaks right that all things being equal, let's say that they're even and then the upside rests with Adams? Yeah, the Diggs is safer. I think Diggs is safer, you know, this is an offense that just threw so much that maybe he doesn't quite have the target share upside of Adams, but he's still got a really high target share, you know, around 30% he can get to with a team that just throwing a ton, you know, they're throwing way more than green Bay. So I'm probably taking digs Tyreek Hill over Devonte Adams. And then that's where it gets, you know, I, I I'm because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to start week one. I'm taking the risk on Adams likely after that but like DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley, AJ Brown are probably close-ish. And then after that, there's nobody I would for sure take over Adams after those kind of cluster of players. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Unless, I guess we won't know what's going on in New Orleans, but this feels like a spot for a Michael Thomas, just huge rebound season. Yeah, he's growing on me. I was surprised looking at the... Uh, and one of the sports books had, you know, the projected spread in line for every week of the season. And we sort of averaged those out. And I mean, that's not super reliable, but it gives you some idea of how the books are expecting offenses to run and teams to perform. And my initial scoring expectation for New Orleans without Drew Brees was a lot lower than that average team total across the season. So adjusting for that a little bit, uh, I get Michael Thomas in that DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson type tier he's really tough to project too, because the range of outcomes on his target share with a new quarterback, like he, he could, he could be a huge target share guy, but does he catch 75% of his targets like he did with Drew Brees? Probably not. So I can see both sides of the coin with Michael Thomas. Yeah. I have him at around a 27% share and a 75% catch rate. And maybe that's just too high. That's being too bullish on him. I think that's very reasonable on the target share though. Like maybe, maybe the catch rate's a little high, but honestly, I think I'm, I'm pretty close with you on that one. And I have him like wide receiver 10 or so. Like I said, like right in the, I've taken like Metcalf and Jefferson just because kind of like siding with the youth and some like huge breakout players. But when you get into full PPR leagues, it's like those guys are efficiency players and Michael Thomas can out catch them by so much that it does become you know, a conversation. Um, Michael Thomas, born in 1993. He's an old man to you now. He's not, he's no longer a young gun. Adam Lovitan has ruined me with his peppering me with his age model bias for a year. He got into me. I'm afraid to project anyone who's not, you know, sub 25 for any sort of growth. 28 years old and he's old. How does that make you feel? It's not going well. 34. Oh my goodness. I got you by even more than that. So that's not great. Bob Tunyon. I don't know what to make of him because, like, I, I, we should probably talk about the rest of the receivers before we get into tight ends. So you, you mentioned Amari Rogers, uh, Alan Lazard, the Lazard queen. He is still there. We have Valdez Scantling, who's going to catch three 80-yard touchdowns this year, and that's probably going to be it. Devin Funches is probably going to be a receiver slash tight end on this team outside of Lazard, and that even that would have to be late. Do you want any of these guys? I... 
first of all, Lazard, I know you said outside of Lazard, but he's free right now in a lot of drafts at the very end. And I think at that point, he's worth taking. I think he'd clearly be drafted if we knew Rodgers was the quarterback. Amari Rodgers, you know, I'm not a huge prospect guy, but from what I hear on Amari Rodgers is people think he's like a pretty good fit with Aaron Rodgers, where he can do a lot of, you know, some of the Randall Cobb stuff, some of the short area stuff. So I'm somewhat interested in him and him and rookies in general. I know Pat Crane for NBC Sports Edge just wrote a really good article on rookie wide receivers and how they've been very profitable investments in general, because you get to the point of the draft where there's just more uncertainty with the rookie wide receivers. And if they don't pan out, these are picks that probably aren't working out or you're, you're dropping a lot of the times anyways, but if they do work out, sometimes they can hit in a really big way in a way we can't really foresee before the season. I don't know if Amari Rogers quite has that upside because he's just never going to see like a ton of targets with Devonte Adams there, but I do think he could be, the right type of player to play there in Rodgers. Let's move to tight end then. Robert Tunyon is there coming off a pretty good season, a very useful season when you picked him up off the waiver wire. He's going to have games where he essentially scores zero points, but that's not that different than outside of five tight Yeah, like that's just your run-of-the-mill tight end. And I guess his touchdown upside is high enough that you can kind of get away with it. He's going as Tight end number 11 in high stakes leagues, pick like number 123 or something like that. He's one of those back end guys that you can fill out your tight end slot with, but he's not someone I'm actively going to pursue. Yeah, same. I I really, in my early best ball leagues, and I've done a couple high stakes slow drafts that are just managed leagues. He hasn't, I haven't been in very many spots in the draft where I've even really considered him, you know? So I think tight end 11s pretty rich and sometimes people are taking these mid-tier tight ends a little too early anyways where once you get past a certain group of guys the floor on all these guys is so low that like i don't know if i want to take the te 11 you know four or five rounds ahead of the t 18 or whatever so uh yeah you're just but you really need rogers here because this this is a guy who's making his way via touchdowns right i mean 11 touchdowns last year I do like that scoring upside and what it can do for you, but you absolutely need Rogers here. And even if Rogers is here, then you're talking about like breaking even at that ADP. You're not even really smashing it or providing much room for profit. Yeah. If he was a last round pick, I think that would make more sense. Cause that's, that's sort of the tier that I have him in because I don't, I will not draft a mid tier tight end. I just do not think it's worth it. What would we had like one successful one over the past 10 years? And that was like Waller last year. And he was still going in like the fifth round. But most of these guys that you take the, when you take Evan Ingram every year in the sixth, turns out it doesn't work out all that well. So I don't see a huge distinction. I mean, the upside with touchdowns and scoring with Rodgers is one thing. And you might be able to profit really well as a 15th, 16th round pick, depending on where you're going. But I don't think that's all that different than Gesicki, Irv, Irv Smith, Ferkser, Evan Ingram now, Janu, Cole Komet, like all of these guys, Blake Jarwin, they're all kind of the same guy. He's fancy Evan, or fancy Anthony Ferkser, right? I mean, he's going to get there on efficiency. He's going to have, you know, low teens target share. So it's like, okay. But at the end of the day, you're just hoping he's a highly efficient player. And that's Anthony Ferkser. Like you can get him way later than you can get Tanya. It's time once again for me to tell you all about Magic Spoon. I've been drinking protein shakes, powder for years, but I finally found a delicious way 
to get my protein before and after workouts. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Magic Spoon rules, and you can build your own box right now. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. It's like I've been telling people for the past four months, just get the fruity Magic Spoon flavor. It is so good that you're really gonna want it. And plus, like, it's good for you. It helps me, like I said, the refueling before and after the gym, now the gyms are back open where I'm at, makes it top notch. So what you do is go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code mayo, that's M-A-Y-O for you morons who can't spell, at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo, then use code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Let's be honest, you're not getting as good a sleep as you need to be, whether your problem is falling asleep, staying asleep, or just not feeling rested once you wake up. That would be the Pat Mayo category. You're not alone. More than half of Americans report having trouble with getting enough sleep. At Brickhouse Nutrition, our team of on-staff physicians is on a mission to get heads on pillows and would like to introduce Dreams Sleep Aid. By taking science-backed ingredients like melatonin and combining them with natural ingredients from the earth like valerian root and jujube fruit, Dreams is the perfect blend for the perfect sleep. So... Go to BrickHouseSleep.com and get 15% off your first order at checkout with promo code MAYO. Again, promo code MAYO. It's time to sleep like a brick. BrickHouseSleep.com, promo code MAYO. Let's talk Vikings. Their win total is 9 to make the playoffs. They are plus 123, so you'd have to wager $100 to win $123. To win the division, plus 225 to win the conference, 18 to 1, Super Bowl, 40 to 1. Just off the hop with this Vikings team, if they can improve their defense, which it looks like they may have done, it seems like some of these odds are kind of long for them, doesn't it? Yeah, I would be really surprised if the defense was in worse shape than it was last year. And yeah, 40 to 1 seems a little bit long. I don't know if I want to bet on Kirk Cousins in the playoffs getting it done, but. Uh, maybe the win total there looks good. I do think that you know you've, the Bears could be a little bit better than people think, depending on when they make the switch to Justin Fields. But I guess, yeah, you've got some upside in if Aaron Rodgers isn't there with Green Bay, you've got some upside winning those games. And then you've got kind of the freebie games against Detroit. So it does seem a little bit low. Kirk Cousins is essentially free in drafts right now. And he's probably not someone that you want to use as in a one quarterback league, but it feels like there is substantial upside for passing touchdowns that you'd be kind of banking on him having one of these spike years where Delvin ends up catching like six of them and Jefferson and Thielen go absolutely off Irv Smith or even Conklin become bigger parts of the cog. And then Cousins is a viable fantasy quarterback, but in like your mind, he's not draftable. I'm guessing in a one quarterback league, he isn't to me, but he'd be a good spot start guy. He's a good stackable guy on DraftKings kind of guy. 
Yeah, exactly. Like you're not taking a quarterback that doesn't have that really high and upside in one quarterback leagues. Like you're probably taking a chance on one of the rookies or something at that point, if you're going that late or you're streaming in one quarterback leagues. But if you're playing DraftKings best ball, this is a pretty stackable team because it's like four guys, you know, it's Dalvin, Dylan Jefferson, and then Irv Smith at tight end and a stack's pretty achievable. And then you're just at that point, maybe if you're overdrafting cousins individual upside a little bit, but you're just hoping for the spike weeks from the offense. Like if that defense doesn't improve, like we think it will, there's going to be some weeks in a negative game script where they just throw a ton. And that's when cousins hits his upside when you're talking like three fifty and three, there was a game last year. I forgot which opponent was, but you know, they won that triple stack one DFS tournaments, you know, deal and Jefferson, because all those guys can get there. And that's the beauty of a concentrated offense for fantasy. It reminds me a lot fantasy wise of the old Broncos teams with Demarius and Sanders or the old Oakland teams with Crabtree and Cooper, where you didn't really want the quarter. I mean, you could, I mean, you could use Peyton Manning one of those years, but when it comes to like Derek Carr, or even the backups that ended up coming in after Manning, where the target share was so concentrated on two players that despite the fact that you would want both those receivers, you didn't want the quarterback associated with that team, which is just really hard for a lot of people to unwrap in their mind. Cause I was talking about Cincinnati with Meany on yesterday's show. And it, like, in my mind, you know, Burrow is a fringe QB one, like a top 12 guy. And all three of the receivers could be top 30 this year. Now, if one of them ends up wide receiver, number five, probably all three of them wouldn't end up inside the top 30, but the way that I had them projected out between Boyd Higgins and chase, like it'd be like wide receiver, number 19 wide receiver, number 25 wide receiver, number 27 kind of thing with just the amount that I think that they're going to throw. So it's sort of an inverse situation here where you just have these two guys, but that makes it so predictable at the same time. I, yeah. I actually think that Thielen, when we talk about wide receivers is one of the better values going right now. Yeah. I mean, you talk about concentrated offenses too, to what you're saying, Carolina last year, right? I mean, Teddy threw 15 touchdowns and they had three receivers that were what top 24 or so. So yeah, this is even more concentrated with Thielen and Jefferson and Thielen someone I've had a tough time wrapping my head around again, age model bias here, Mayo, where in my heart, like I don't want to draft Thielen. There's other guys out there that are flashier and more exciting, but it's the sort of thing where, I, where I've done my projections and I've been conservative because of the age on his target share. I give guys like upside cases too that I wait. I've been really conservative on his upside case, like not being that much higher than his base case. And I'm doing all these conservative things and I still have them ranked ahead of ADP, which at a certain point, you just have to say, okay, like you got to trust the math a little bit here. We don't want to go overboard. We don't want to be overly precise, but this is offense is too concentrated and feeling i mean if you look at his touchdowns the last few seasons like he's a very high td rate guy the offense is going to be decent i think those opportunities are still going to be there for him even if he regresses he's going to his td rate is going to regress from last year but i still think he's going to be one of the better receivers in td rate in the league and in these concentrated offenses too there's always you know what if justin jefferson gets hurt like we sometimes we look at the chaos at running back but chaos can happen to all the positions and then Thielen goes from a low to mid twenties target share guy to a 30 plus percent target share guy. So I do think around wide receiver 20 or so Thielen, you know, he's, he's a value, even if, if it doesn't feel great 
he's definitely a value. Yeah, pick number, let's see here, 56 right now in high stakes drafts, wide receiver number 22. And like, you can see what people are doing. Like, they're taking Jamar Chase over him, DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson. I get the target share and just the overall receptions for Deontay Johnson will be higher. I'd rather have Adam Thielen, though, because you talk about that touchdown rate, how it's been relatively consistent. That might come back a little bit. And if the defense is better on Minnesota this year with Zimmer, like, you know that they're just going to run the ball more because that's what they do. But almost like Devontae Adams in the Packers discussion, they have set red zone plays for Adam Thielen. He's... They're like, throw a pick, quick slant. Like, those are designed plays for him inside the five-yard line. Yeah, and you mentioned that ADP. I'm looking at FFPC ADP right now for their championship, like the bigger championship. And, you know, he's wide receiver 24. It's pick 63. I mean, we're talking into the sixth round now, you know. And I am someone that really likes to hammer wide receivers, especially managed redraft in those rounds. And to get feeling as possibly your fourth wide receiver. Like that's, that's a ton of upside. There's a lot of targets to be had there. So I do like him. You mentioned though, that, you know, maybe they might run a little bit more. They might not run as many plays just because the defense might be better. So there's a little bit of concern there with that, but I think feeling again, it's like the math still checks out. I get a little worried on Jefferson as good as he is over like like I think I take Metcalf over Jefferson I just think there's a little bit more you know juice to squeeze there just because the he needs to run crazy efficiency to get there uh I still have him a top 10 wide receiver but more towards that back end of the top 10 so yeah do you think it's more likely he finishes as wide receiver two or wide receiver 22 wide receiver 22 I guess yeah oh, man I, I, I love I, Jefferson. But. I, I like him too, but did he overachieve last season, especially fantasy-wise? Or is he just the dominant one here? Maybe a little bit of both. I, I had a tweet last year looking at Justin Jefferson, and players with his yards per catch and downfield ability generally don't have the highest of catch rates because you know it's a higher dot type role and you're sacrificing some of that consistency for the big play. And he caught 70% of his passes, which is insane. So you know, there's two ways to look at that. It's one, this guy's amazing. And it's two, this guy's playing over his head and it's going to regress. So generally the truth is a little bit in the middle there. I like him top 10. I think he's fine, but yeah, I do think there are other guys that might have a little bit of a higher ceiling. We shouldn't underestimate though, a year two receiver that just had this amazing year, making a big leap in target share. Like what this offense is concentrated and what, instead of it's like instead of being like 26, 24 on the target share with dealing, what if it's like 30, 20, like that type of thing could happen. So I do still think there's upside. So that, that question you posed to me is a pretty difficult one to answer. I, I have it right now as 27 and 21. So 27 for Jefferson, 21 for Thielen, which would make Justin Jefferson wide receiver seven by the projection. So if he gets up to that 30% level, which is within the range of outcomes, most definitely, I just don't see that happening in this offense. And if it does get up to like a 30% target share, I would feel like that means they're just not throwing a lot. Yeah. And the efficiency probably would dip a little bit, but you'd take the extra targets over the efficiency. So 
I think he's going where he should. It's just kind of a note that there are some things I could see happening where, yeah, I'm taking Ridley over him, which I think is pretty much consensus now post Julio trade. So nothing too hot there, but I am taking DK Metcalf over him. And I do think, you know, we talked about Michael Thomas already, like Michael Thomas versus Justin Jefferson in a full PPR league, like the DraftKings setup. I think it's at least close. What, what about someone like Keenan Allen then in a full point PPR? Yeah. I'm looking at our ranks now. We actually do have Keenan Allen a little bit ahead of uh, Justin Jefferson in the full PPR ranks. I think in the half PPR ranks, you know, the efficiency sways back to Jefferson. That one, man, I, I'm struggling with this Chargers offense where I think they're going to run a lot less plays than last year. They just ran so many plays. It's a new coaching staff, but at the same time, they should run. It's a guy that can command. They should run better plays. <laughs> yeah, they should run better plays. It's a guy who can command a high target share. They might pass, like their pass attempts might not end up changing a lot because they they didn't trust Herbert at first when he, even though he was playing well, it kind of took them over the course of the year to start passing a little bit more aggressively. And I mean, if Herbert's just really good, there's nothing stopping Keenan Allen from getting a ton of targets, but there's a little stuff with Eckler too. When Eckler came back, like the target share wasn't as high. And I don't know, this is all to say, like he's one of the guys I'm struggling with. He's like a better version of Adam Thielen for me in, in some ways where the math really checks out for him, but I find myself gravitating towards some of the other players. Um, but once you get to wide receiver 10, I'm taking Keenan. Well, in high stakes drafts, Justin Jefferson is going as the seventh receiver, pick number 24. So he's on the tier with Ridley, Metcalf, A.J. Brown. That's sort of that tier of wide receiver. I would think in my mind, Jefferson and Brown might be right in the right order, but they're closer to the next tier of wide receiver that are getting drafted, which is Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas, McLaurin, and Allen Robinson. I think that all of those guys are pretty similar to me when I think about how they score their fantasy points. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking A.J. Brown over Jefferson. I feel pretty strongly about that. I think, you know, we talk about players that rely on efficiency, but we've seen A.J. Brown do it in so many different ways over a couple of seasons now. And it's a Tennessee team that has to throw a little bit more. Like, I think I have a firm tier ending after A.J. Brown. Like, I think there's a top six wide receivers. And then it goes to like Keenan, Metcalf, Jefferson, Michael Thomas. Like those four guys are pretty close to me. How dare you not have Terry McLaurin as a part of that tier? He has Ryan Fitzpatrick now. Your, your favorite, the Fitz magic. I know. I, I like, I do like McLaurin. I, I did move him up recently to where he's like the top of that next tier, but I, I don't know if the play calling is going to trend like it did for Fitzpatrick in some of his recent spots where he's been really fantasy friendly because the defense is so good. I think it just may be a little bit more of a conservative approach. And I think McLaurin's really good. I think he's fine. I'm not going to bash McLaurin, but I, I do think he's behind those guys. Like I, I do think there's a teardrop after M, you know, wide receiver 10. And then it's like a Rob McLaurin Dallas guys. For yeah. Him. And Dallas guys are just, I, I've just kind of, we went over this on the NFC East show, but just give me Gallup and hopefully he's the wide receiver too. Because you can get him. I, I love them all. Give them all to me. <laughs> You're going to take Dak and all the Dallas receivers and that's just your team? I think I was so in on Dallas last year and it was happening, dude. Like, I, I think there's a, ch they weren't even that concentrated of an offense, which is crazy. And these guys were still getting there. Like if they're a little bit more concentrated, if Dak's healthy for the whole year, 
I don't know. I think it could be just, I think Dak Prescott could be drafted as the number one quarterback next year. I think that that's in the range of outcomes where we're seeing that happen next fantasy season. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, he's being drafted kind of that way right now, but he's on that like Lamar tier after Mahomes and Allen. And then you have like the next few yeah. guys, but I mean, people see that path that you see as well. That's why they're reaching on him. Uh, it's funny because Herbert's being drafted around there too. And I don't see that path for Herbert. That was a big part of our AFC West discussion with Justin Herbert and quarterbacks. Like he's being drafted as quarterback number six. That feels like what his upside is. Yeah. Again, I think my projections on the charges are a little hot. I have him QB six, but I really tend to agree with you that I definitely think there's a distinction and upside between him and the five quarterbacks ahead of him, like a pretty clear distinction. And I'm honestly not sure if I would take him over Russ. I, I wouldn't, I, I, that, I would take Russ and frankly, yeah. I wouldn't take Herbert over Hertz, but I'm far more likely to draft Hertz because Hertz is yeah, one Hertz. of the quarterbacks who we could be drafting as quarterback number one next year. He might be not drafted next year, but his path to becoming QB1 is there. Yeah, the Hertz value two rounds later, like Hertz in eight is better than Herbert in six. Yeah. So the rest of these receivers, you have BB, BC Johnson, Blake Prohl. Is that Ricky Prohl's brother? Good God, I'm old. And then you have Amir Smith, Alanis Marset. Um, we don't want any of these guys. Even if even if one of the two were to go down, you probably still wouldn't want any of these guys. Because I've played the Chad BB. Yeah, there's there's nothing here. I mean, I'm, I'm out. I, I don't know if I have another guy above like a 7% target share with knowing what we know now, you know, outside of the receivers of Smith and Dalvin. Like it's... This is a concentrated offense. And it's not like if Thielen or Jefferson goes down, one of these guys is going to start seeing 20% targets. Like, no, what, you have to, what, what they would probably do is just start playing more two tight end sets with Irv and Conklin. Yeah. It's like, that's very reasonable. Conklin saw a surprising amount of targets when Rudolph was out last year. I think he might've even like out targeted or not that we're expecting that by any stretch this year, but dude, yeah, it's, it's brutal. Like this, this is just all to say that it's, it's pretty, it's not the setup you want a run heavy offense. Like there, there's nobody I'm interested in here. I'll, I'll keep an eye on Smith Marset just because I'm keeping an eye on basically any rookie with a pulse, but I'm not drafting him. Uh, they do have a wide receiver named Whoop Fillior, which would just be amazing if he could be good, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be good. Let's talk Dalvin Cook. Why running back two, running back three? Where you got him? Clear running back two for me. I what, what, slightly tilted last on, year. Hold on. What differentiates him from Saquon? Well, you don't have the injury concerns. You don't? Start. Isn't Cook like always hurt every year for like periods of time? I think he's got, he's entering the year healthy and that's more important to me than the past injury history. Like Saquon, they're already talking about him being eased in and I don't know how much I buy it, but it's, it's enough that there's a difference for me. And I think it's a more efficient offense in terms of per play success. And I think the touchdowns are going to be more concentrated onto Galvin, Jefferson, Theo, and Irv versus 
there's a little bit more there for the Giants. I mean, I like Saquon, so we're like we're splitting hairs here a little bit, but we've no, also but, just but, seen kind of. I mean, there, it's one thing to split hairs between Thielen and some of the guys he's around, Jefferson, some of the guys he's around, because you know they might be gone by the time you get there. But a real decision needs to be made if you're picking second or third between nitpicking between these guys. Like that is a very important decision. For me, it's Dalvin. Like I had Dalvin two last year in my projections before, like the holdout concerns and baking in that risk. And then he did basically everything that I hoped that he would do. You know, he's going to see a team's target share. He's got huge efficiency. He's going to dominate the rush attempts. I, I I'm really high on Dalvin. I feel more confident in him than I do in Saquon. As good as Saquon is. Okay. Is there any other running backs as a part of that? Because, I mean, we're talking about running backs that could finish running back one. Now, obviously, someone we're not even thinking of could finish his running back one if guys get hurt like they did last year. But I I feel like McCaffrey's pretty cut and dry, number one. That shouldn't even be close to... To me, like, they Cook, Henry, all of these guys, along with Cook, uh, even Kamara, you can probably throw into that mix, can all challenge to be the running back one. But when I look at the situation and how these players are used, McCaffrey, I just think, is the safest of all of them. And he has the highest upside. That's why he's number one. Then it becomes the discussion at number two. I'm curious. Uh, you said that you were running the Chargers hot in terms of your projections. I tried to be a bit more conservative, and it still gives me Austin Eckler as number, number five at running back. Could he be running back one if he's used in a certain way? I'm just really concerned he's not going to have the goal line role to quite get to running back one. Uh, he obviously could run hot on touchdowns from outside the red zone. And it's not like they, I mean, we don't know how they're going to use him, but I'd be surprised if he was their primary goal line back. I think he'll get some of those carries. I think he'll get some play inside the 10, but like the two, three, one yard line type plays, I think likely go elsewhere to a bigger back. Um I don't, I don't think he's got the overall RB1 upside. Like, I think Aaron Jones has that more than Austin Eckler. I so you would say, on that, so like but. Jones, Saquon, and Zeke, and even Cam Akers, if everything breaks right for him and he gets used in the passing game, those would be guys. And he, I would even throw Najee Harris in there. Like, he could be running back one. I don't think he's going to be running back one. Uh, but just based, think... on, based on usage, passing game, and goal line, Eckler would be on the outside looking and kind of like Kamara a little bit. But, but Eckler's really safe. Like, I mean, he catches so many balls that I'm not necessarily drafting him behind all these guys. Uh, but if you're just talking like purely odds of being the overall RB1, I would throw Joe Mixon's hat in the ring. That's interesting. Joe Mixon. We talked about him on yesterday's show, how it does seem like no one wants to draft Joe Mixon anymore. And he's sometimes falling to the third round. Giovanni Bernard is gone. There's no one behind him. And he's, you know, he, I think I saw like last year and like PPR points per game, he was like half a point behind Jonathan Taylor or something. And, and some of that skewed because Taylor didn't, well, he, he had a role actually pretty quickly right out of the gate. But I mean, the, the ability for a three down role and this Bengals team has always been really bad and they project to be bad again in terms of their win total. Even their average team total for this season is one of the lower ones in the league. But I do think if Joe Burrow turns out to be really good and this line isn't going to be good, but it should be less of a disaster than it was last year. I just see a lot of routes towards Mixon compiling a ton of fantasy points. I mean, he can load like a 10% target share, basically all the carries and a really good red zone role. Is Alexander Madison one of the elite handcuffs or is he just a guy not to draft 
if you're, let's say, a 16-round 12-team league, like you just don't even want him anymore because we've seen what he does as a starter, and it's not even all the work. He's. I think he's got a decent amount of upside, though. I mean, he he had some. Didn't he have some pretty high touch games? And we saw Mike Boone with some high touch games that like could have been Alexander Madison if Madison was healthy. So, I do think he's one of the better handcuffs. Where I actually feel confident that it'd be a pretty valuable role that he'd be stepping into. You know, it's not going to be all Dalvin Cook. He's not going to be even maybe ninety percent Dalvin Cook, but. I did take him as a late upside swing on a team that I just drafted recently. Uh, I think he's worth stashing in leagues and just kind of seeing how things play out. It's the type of guy that you're rotating through your roster anyways. You know, something happens to Dalvin in the offseason, like you've hit an absolute home run with Madison. But if you're playing in like a standard league, like you're taking Alexander Madison over like J.D. McKissick, right? Like it's jd mckissick going to do for you in like your average 12 team league you know he, he could help you out in maybe some best ball situations where you just need the usable pass catching weeks but in general i'm trying to stash these really high upside backs and just rotate through them based on how the waiver wire looks and how depth charts are shaking out i don't know much about mckissick this year but mckissick is someone i rode last year in like 12 team leagues because i essentially played zero rb and he was the perfect running back too in full point ppr where he just gave you that base every single week plus he had upside to go along with it because he started catching like 12 balls a game something crazy like that i don't know if that happens as much this year but i'm not i'm not scared of that type of player i think it depends on how your team is actually constructed where if injuries happen and it's not to delvin cook like Madison is useless if Cook is playing. Like, I never want to play him. That's kind of why why I like Latavius Murray all of the time, because I never feel the need to play Latavius Murray if Kamara is playing. I just never play him. And he might have good weeks. That's fine. He can be on my bench for it. But those three to four weeks that I can get out of Murray if Kamara goes down are like top five running back weeks. And I just don't think that Madison is on that level. I think he's a step or two back from that, where he's a mid-running back two if Cook isn't playing. I think he's like on the RB one fringe, but I do think maybe a better way of phrasing it, like, cause that is a good point on McKissick and how you, you wrote him last year is I like mixing the type of backs I have. And it sort of depends how I'm constructed. You know, if I have a lot of early RB capital invested, then someone like JD McKissick's useless to me because I'm never starting him over these top guys, right? Like I kind of want someone on my bench that has like this crazy upside because I've already got guys to fill my starters. If I'm drafting a zero RB team, you do need a couple guys like McKissick where you can say, I'm starting him week one. I got to fill these points and that'll buy time for some of the other upside stashes on my team to hopefully come to fruition and work out. And then at that point, you know, maybe I use McKissick, maybe I don't. Is JD McKissick the most Pat Mayo player of all time? Dude, you love, you love your pass catching backs. I mean, he's also on Washington where Chris Thompson, so maybe he's overtaken the reign from Chris Thompson as your, you know, de facto pass catching loving running back. I'm excited to do a DK show with you this year where you tout like some like four or five $3,900 priced players that might catch five balls and get to 12 DraftKings points. It's funny because I, I did that with Jordan Howard last year. who's sort of the anti-Pat Mayo player, but he was so cheap one week. I think it was against Arizona. And had he, had he have just had like four more yards, I actually would have won the Pat Mayo experience like 
Listeners League. So that would have been worth like 10K. That would have been awesome. But he couldn't get there for me. I needed a McKissick type who was just going to pile up six catches. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the pass. But you, you do love the pass catching running backs. I think no one's going to take that title from you. Well, that's good. That and my like Ted Ginn's <laughs> of the world. Four targets. Like Valdez Scantling is someone I play every single week. And for three weeks a year, it's great. We uh, we need to get you on the uh, better better volume players, Pat. I think the more well rounded volume players. Yeah, but you have to you have to understand. I, I don't like mid range players. I like good players and uh, bad yeah. players. And this is the only way I can afford all of the good players. That might be a leak, though. That might be a leak in the game in the process, Mayo. But well, I do think for for best, this is like a kind of a good tangential point to best ball where I think people sometimes make the mistake of drafting guys like MBS because they're like, oh, he's going to catch a couple long touchdowns and I'll use those weeks versus like I'd almost rather have a guy with a more stable role and a better role that seems more boring. You know, sometimes some of these slot receivers like actually have a little bit more upside than you think. And they also can fill in weeks that the rest of your roster tanks and, oh, hey, you know, that five for 50 from, slot player Y was actually useful while I've got this one for 20 from Marquez Valdez Scantling on my bench. Irv Smith became a thing for a little bit in fantasy. Like, oh my God, Irv Smith breakout season. It hasn't completely gone away. I actually just worry that Conklin just eats into him too much that he's super viable. Like he's on that, he's worse than Tunyon, but he's on like around that level. I think he's in the Tunyon range. I think, I think that's about right. I think, I've got like after Gesicki, kind of Tunyon, Irv Smith, and the New England guys, like in this tier where I don't feel great about any of them. Yeah, not not a priority essentially. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I do think Irv of those guys has the most upside, though. Well, what about someone who we're going to talk about with the next team and like Cole Komet? Like, what's really the difference? I guess maybe just a little bit that we feel a little bit better about it, quite frankly, just because we've seen it for some weeks. But yeah. I do find it interesting with Kamat. I, I hope I'm not jumping the gun too much, but we don't expect rookie tight ends to perform that well. Like historically, we know they're not going to perform that well. And Kamat over the course of the season carved out a role by the end of the year where he was playing a lot more than Jimmy Graham. And yet it's like there's less hype on Kamat this year than last year, which seems a little weird to me right like we kind of should have known that it wasn't going to go great year one so i do think we may be undervaluing cole Komet. let's move to the bears their win total is seven and a half plus 180 to win the division plus 350 uh sorry plus 180 to make the playoffs plus 350 to win the division 22 to 1 to win the conference 50 to 1 to win the super bowl they keep Nagy keeps saying that Andy Dalton is going to start week one and maybe he does, but I don't think he's going to be starting week two. I'm very high on Justin Fields in general, Justin Fields and Trey Lance are two guys that honestly, I think you can build your draft plans around trying to maximize their upside where if these guys are playing, they have top 10 quarterback upside and the rest of your league, isn't going to draft them anywhere near that because they might not be starting week one. Now it's going to cost you a bench spot because you're going to have to start with two QBs right off the bat. But in a casual league, if I can get 
Fields and Trey Lance around 13 to 14. Like there's some quarterbacks for free. We talked about Kirk Cousins, heck. I mean, you can take him for free at the end of the draft. We talk, someone like Tua, you can compliment these guys with. I'm really, my best ball strategy and my managed strategy revolves heavily around the fact that I could potentially get a Justin or a Jalen Hurts type player five rounds later and then have better skill players than you and just roll the dice on how long it takes for that to come to fruition. Like there's an entire midsection of these quarterbacks that are being drafted. Essentially like Watson is going at 15 and we just don't know anything about him. So let's just kind of throw him out of the conversation that starting at number 13 quarterback 13 at Stafford. So it's Stafford, Ryan Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Ben Roethlisberger, Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz. Those are the guys going in between Burrow and Fields right now. I'd rather have Trevor Lawrence just because of the rushing ability that he brings too. And I know that he's going to be starting week one. But other than that, I, Fields would be the guy af- after that for me, even if he doesn't start till week four. I'd rather have him than Baker Mayfield. Right. Like just roll with the upside, right? I mean, yeah. you're the, like, at, what, at a certain point what, in a one quarterback league, the functional point scored of Baker who, and I like Baker this year, but the difference between him and like, let's even just say like Zach Wilson, right? Like, if, or, you know, who Daniel Jones, whoever went, like, what's, what's the real difference there? It's very minimal or Jameis, you know, if he ends up start, like the difference is so small. Whereas if fields, if Lance, if Lawrence really hit the difference actually becomes meaningful. And the way that you need to think about it, I think this is what you were kind of alluding to, is that what who scores more points? Like you, I always try to think of the positions on my fantasy team as what are the amount of points that I'm generating from that position? So if it's, let's say, 13 weeks of Justin Fields and four weeks of Kirk Cousins or four weeks of Sam Darnold, is that going to outscore Matt Ryan or Ben Roethlisberger? And I think that it would. And there's more of a priority on the playoff weeks too, right? Like, so even in a vacuum, if you're scoring a similar amount of points, you've got more upside come playoff time, you know, and it's not like you need to be top in your league to make the playoffs. You've just got to be in the top 30% or so, depending on however your league playoffs work. I find 50%. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the league settings that you have. I find David Montgomery to be one of the more interesting players in fantasy drafts this year, because the expectation to me, at least, was going to be with the way that he finished the season that he would end up going inside the top 10 running backs because enough people would talk themselves into him. But the opposite has actually happened where he's just going exactly where he went last year, despite, I mean, this everyone saw the soft schedule coming, but he did it. And as soon as Cohen went down, he was awesome as a fantasy asset to have. And now Cohen is coming back. Damian Williams is a part of this roster as well. But... Are we just overlooking the fact that maybe David Montgomery is just a good running back on this team now? I don't know. I think it's kind of a falling grenade and I don't really want to be the one to jump on it. But but no it's, it's but really... no no one wants to be the one to jump on it and that's causing him to go in like the end of the 4th 5th round. So positionally I think he's going about right, you know, where people haven't overreacted and as a result he's not overvalued within the running back group. He's going about where he should relative to other running backs. I'm just rarely taking running backs in the fourth, fifth round. Like I am hammering receivers there. And with Montgomery, I'm really worried that 
I mean, it's not only do you have Tariq Cohen, but like maybe I'm overvaluing the acquisition of Damian Williams, who I think is actually pretty decent and someone I've been taking at the very back end of drafts where I think he can cut into Montgomery like a little bit everywhere. You know, Tariq's going to cut into obviously the targets that Montgomery had, but it was just a perfect storm for Montgomery. Not only, and you, you know, the soft schedule and we do have to give him credit for like, even though it was a soft schedule, he was still amazing. Like he still performed more than he should have, but the combination of the soft schedule with, he took every running back snap imaginable because they had absolutely nothing behind him. You know, even if tree Cohen gets hurt again, it's not, it's not the upside case from last season with Damian Williams there. All right. So he's just following in that dead range with Chris Carson and Josh Jacobs that you're just not going after. Yeah, I think Carson's like okay, actually. Like, yeah, but but, uh, but yeah, like him, like Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery. I just, I think it's like we're kind of nitpicking the value there. And when we like zoom out and we look at functionally, like how much is this going to help my fantasy team? I don't know if the upside's worth the risk that a lot of these running backs just have there just by the nature of the position. We've already spoken about Allen Robinson very briefly about how he's, you know, he's inside the top. 15 receivers for sure he could be a top 10 receiver uh it depends on what kind of draft you're in and do you worry about him with fields at all because i feel like dalton is going to be really good for Allen robinson if he was just to start 17 games it would just be hey i'll throw it to Allen robinson that's our play when we pass with fields where he is going to be taking off running a little bit more i just worry about that the overall passing volume will just be down for this team across the board I'm not too worried about it. Fields was extremely accurate in college. A lot of sharp people thought, honestly, he should have been in contention or maybe even the favored quarterback to go after Trevor Lawrence. And I know that didn't happen. He went QB4. He went meaningfully later than Lance, than Zach Wilson. But I'm treating him as if he's like a top five pick. And Okay, but okay. Well, I, I guess let me rephrase but, this. But then like, to, maybe, so maybe, I think he's good. Maybe I but said I think that, maybe I said this wrong though because that he's good. Like Dalton is bad now, so I feel like he's just going to lock on to his best player and just keep throwing to him. Fields, if he's better, maybe he has some more progressions where he can look down the field and gets more people involved. I feel like the target share will be higher for Allen Robinson if Dalton is the quarterback. It may be, but I do think there's. We sometimes overlook the systemic risk of a bad quarterback and the systemic upside of a good quarterback, what that can do just for the offense as a whole, where, you know, I kind of would take Allen Robinson with a 25% target share with Justin Fields more than I would take him with, you know, a 28, 29% target share with Andy Dalton. Like give me Fields. Let's hope this offense runs more plays. Let's hope they're more efficient. There's more touchdowns. Uh, the, the catch rate for Allen Robinson is higher than it would have been with Dalton. The yards per catch is higher. So I, I still think it's a plus if Fields is in there over Dalton. Like if Fields is good, I think we're still very happy, even if he's going to, I don't even think like, like Allen Robinson's going to command a wide receiver, one target share, whoever the quarterback is. You are going to lose some overall pass attempts with some more rushing from Fields, but I don't think it's enough that you're rooting for Dalton to be the, the starter here over the course of the season. Okay. So then you have Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney, Marquise Goodwin's on this team. Well, Javon Wims, Demir Bird is on this team. You know he's going to end up playing a role for a few weeks because he always just finds a way to wedge in there and get on the field. Very good special teams player. So that usually gets him in uniform. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we need a guy who's super fast to run down the field. They have like three of those guys uh, who were like at wide receiver four, five, and six. But do you have a lean between Miller 
and Mooney, or are they just both guys that you probably don't want? Um, because I'm taking a lot of fields, if I'm playing best ball leagues where I'm more cognizant of stacking, I think they're viable. Mooney's interesting in that he started to carve out a pretty big role and a really high A dot, but like Trubisky and Foles, like they just could not get him the ball down the field. And I think that season with some more accurate passing, like we could be looking at it as a very different type of season if the downfield passing's there. What's tough is, you know, the market is still like kind of on Mooney. So he's like fine for me where he's going. It does seem like everyone's completely written off Anthony Miller. And I've gotten him basically for free at the very end of drafts. And I'm, I'm kind of fine doing that. Like I don't have crazy expectations, but it can get pretty thin sometimes in these best ball leagues in rounds 16 through 20 on DraftKings, And Miller is one of the guys that I'm willing to take there. Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet. We talked about Komet a little bit. Is Jimmy Graham's presence enough to hurt Komet though? And we're, that makes him not viable. Yeah. I mean, it hurts Komet the way they use Jimmy Graham by the goal line. I don't know if that's changing. I think we have a changing of the guard clearly in terms of, the overall snap rate, who's going to see more targets and it's trending Komet's way. And I like that. I think it's enough to make him a top 20 tight end, but yeah, we, I mean, we'd certainly rather Jimmy Graham not be there. And then maybe some of those goal line plays go just more directly to Komet than they do to Graham and Graham, like as old as he is, does seem to do pretty well in that role. So it's hard to, you know, knock them too much for doing it that way. Well, I, I don't know if you know this, but he used to play basketball, so he's pretty athletic. <laughs> Posting up in the end zone. Did you know Antonio Gates played basketball too? I, I, I had not heard that. No, I, that is new news to me. <laughs> Let's move to the Lions, get this over with. Oof. Their win total is five. Six to one to make the playoffs, 20 to one to win the division, 66 to one to win the NFC, 151 to win the Super Bowl. Are they the leading contenders besides Houston, maybe, for the first pick? I think so. I mean, they seem really bad. The way the, the coaches, Campbell's going about things, too, isn't exactly a process that instills a lot of confidence in you. They're the type of team I could see playing in a negative game script a lot, but not playing as if they're in a negative game that, script. That, that is, that, that is, it's funny because when I put in my projected rushing rate for the Lions, like when I did the Bengals, I had them at like a 38% rushing rate because if they get behind, they're just going to throw. They're not even going to try to run. And with the Lions, I actually have them at a 47% rush rate, which doesn't seem like it makes any sense, but it makes sense for Dan Campbell. Yeah, I mean, I don't have them quite that high, but I'm with you. Like, relative to what their pass rate should be, it's going to be very low. And it's tough. There's that conversation of, like, do you just avoid offenses like this, or is there opportunity because no one wants to draft these guys and the depth, start, depth chart stinks, so there's room for guys to, to grow. So they are an interesting team from a fantasy perspective because – and that, and it's tough to weight that against, again, the systemic risk of the team, the offense is being really bad, but DeAndre Swift on a good team would be going very, very early. And now he's starting to slip, So you know, you know into the third round, maybe even to the back end of the third round. And TJ Hawkinson is one of the tight ends that you can take after the top three or four guys that actually has meaningful upside because he could lead the team in targets and he's actually good. So, and then, 
And then as far as receivers go, you're not excited by anyone, but Rashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams are going wide receiver 70 plus, And one of them's going to have some value in more. That's more of a best ball thing where I don't think they have these huge ceilings, but if you can get the wide receiver one on a team as your eighth wide receiver in best ball, like that's really good. Even if the team stinks. So let's talk through these guys, Goff, any interest whatsoever. So Goff, I have no interest in, I just don't see any upside here. I have zero interest in golf. I know my friend, Anthony Amico, who does our dynasty stuff at ETR. He kind of likes golf a little bit, but man, the combination of going from McVeigh to Campbell, the Rams receivers to the lions receivers, there's no rushing upside. I just don't see it. Like what's the best case he's QB 18. And like, do I really care if he's QB 18 instead of QB 29? No, I don't care. Okay. Running backs, you mentioned DeAndre Swift, and he might slip down into the third round. People are kind of he's go, he's actually trending a lot like Joe Mixon, which is really weird because Mixon's in such a better spot, at least in my mind. The biggest thorn here is I think they're going to use a lot of Jamal Williams. Like I don't want to draft DeAndre Swift where he's still going. Yeah, it's like Swift. People overreacted to the Anthony Lynn comment about Jamal Williams, where they viewed him as an A back. And Swift really started to drop. I'm looking at our updated ADPs as of today, and it does look like some of that's like leveled off and you aren't getting the discount as much. If he falls to the three, four turn, like I'm very interested. I think this is one of the few running backs in this range that has legitimate upside because he's a really talented player. And I think he could get peppered with targets. I mean, I have a pretty conservative target share on him. And Jack Miller was, you know, giving me a little bit of trouble because I only had like targets in the fifties for, for DeAndre Swift. And a lot of projection systems have him catching 50 plus balls. I know Mike Clay. I I do as well. I have him catching 52 balls. So it's like, it's hard for him to be bad if he's going to catch 50 plus balls, right? Like even if Jamal Williams is involved, if you're as talented as DeAndre Swift, and I don't know, am I overrating that talent? Like that's possible, but I don't think he's going to carry the ball less than Jamal Williams. No. Know? And if I'm getting 50 catches and a split rush roll from like a young dynamic running back on a team that we mentioned, like they're going to run the ball more than they should anyways. They're probably going to run the ball a lot by the goal line. I, don't, I, I think there's, I still think there's upside here. I don't think it's a smash, but he, he's, he's at least interesting in the third round. So I have him as running back 14 in PPR when the projections run everything. And I think in reality, when I do my rankings, that he's going to be lower than that. Because I feel like here's even at running back 14, which is right around where he's being drafted right now, that's sort of his push value. Like, I don't know how much upside there is in this offense. And I gave him 50% of the carries. I gave him a 12% of the market share. You have to remember, too, that like Jamal Williams is such a good blocker that that is just going to get him on the field in a lot of passing down situations. You feel like that's one of the main reasons that he was brought in. And then knowing this team, they're going to use like two other guys that we don't even we, we haven't even heard of yet. Yeah, I mean, I have Marby 16. So we're like, we view him similarly. I just, I do think there's as bad as the team is, there's like an upside case here that, you know, there might not be for some of the other like late third round running backs, but it would have to be late third round because we already hit on like at the turn, Metcalf, Jefferson, Michael Thomas, like those guys are amazing, right? Like, yeah, I don't think I'm passing on a receiver like that or even an elite tight end for 
Swift. Like Swift would have to come after the elite tight ends, would have to come after that tier of wide receivers. And then even then it's like DeAndre Swift versus like McLaurin, Robinson, Amari Cooper, CD Lamb. Like even then it is tough. So it, like yeah. right right now, since June first in high stakes leagues, he Swift is going at pick number twenty-five. And that puts him firmly in the running back tier with Clyde Edwards Alaire and J.K. Dobbins. Those three guys are all being drafted around each other. He would be last of those three to me. And I don't love I have Dobbins. Him. I have him well above down. I'm I'm an I'm a J.K. Dobbins hater. I call him the silent fantasy team killer. <laughs> um I think he's going to have a fine season at a really high opportunity cost. And he just does not have the super high end outcomes because he's going to split carries no matter what. And he's not going to catch passes. Well, he's going to, he's going to split carries three ways is the problem. Right. Lamar, him and Gus, like Gus Edward, like JK Dobbins was awesome last year. He's gonna be awesome again this year in real life, but Gus Edwards was third in the league in rush yards over expectation per attempt. Like Gus Edwards is good too. They're going to use him no matter how you feel about the Gus bus. It's it's happening. Yeah. Like I just think that Edwards Alaire of those three guys makes, I don't even, I don't know if I would take him there, but based on everything that we've talked about, like if you're mining, if you're mining for gold in this range, like the path for Clyde Edwards Alaire to be a much better running back than this of that, of those three guys, it's just so much higher. Yeah, you're taking CEH kind of hands down, I think, over those guys right now. And, you know, maybe before the Jamal Williams nonsense, I would have said Swift was right there with him, maybe even ahead of him. But I think I have it pretty clear. Like, I would definitely take CEH first that group. I would definitely take Swift second. And I would definitely take Dobbins third. Yeah, and for me, when I look at this team, it's going to be Hawkinson or I'm probably going to pick one of these receivers and hope to pick right that they end up with like the 35% market share somehow because the team's no good and that's sort of the case. And I, let's talk about who it could be because you have Perriman, Tyrell Williams, Quintez Cephas, one of the better names that's out there. Geronimo Allison's on this team. Uh, Khalif Raymond, who we last seen with the Tennessee Titans. Tom Kennedy, oh, the Rattler, Damian Ratley. And then you have Amon Ra St. Brown, who just seems like the very logical choice here. He's going to run shallower routes. He's going to have, he just seems to fit with Jared Goff. His game fits with Jared Goff's game, where that could be like 100 catches. Yeah, this is, I mean, I have a tough time here because generally I'm leaning towards the rookies in these spots, and that is St. Brown, but I feel like he's a little bit overhyped relative to the rest of the guys. Like but, where, but where's he, but where's he going though? They're all going past pick like 70 yeah. wide receiver. Yeah, I know. I, just, I think Perriman like could be the wide, like, I don't know. I like the upside of Perriman a little bit better. But the, but if you like I, the upside of Perriman, then I think you have to like the upside of Goff as well. Like, you really think that Goff's going to be hitting Perriman in stride down the field 50 yards? No, he's going to be dumping it off to St. Brown two yards in front of him. <laughs> I mean, Goff's got an arm. Like, he can get the ball too, guys. It's not like he's totally dysfunctional. Like, you know, it's not like it's the Washington offense we saw where, it, and even McLaurin still managed to thrive. But, like, he has some capabilities as a quarterback, even if we think he's a bad real life quarterback, like he has the arm to make big plays and to get the ball to the guys. So I don't know. I, I'm taking Paramount of this group, but yeah, it's like, you can roll the dice on any of them. They're all fine in best ball because getting, we, we, a receiver have, we, we, that's we a, have a saying on the show, Mike, everyone's a good best ball pick. Better in best ball. Uh, but I guess what I mean by that is if I'm in a managed league, I don't think any of them have the type of upside that I really want to stash on my bench. 
You, I, I, I think that if things break right for St. Brown, that he could be the player in this offense who just averages like 12 targets a week. And that might lead to seven for 63, but that has value to me for a last round pick. Yeah, but that has a, that is better in best ball because you kind of want those usable weeks like piled on each other. Whereas you're never going to start that in your starting lineup in a managed league. Like, whereas Perriman has some outcomes where like maybe you would start him, right? Like if Perriman's a 25% target share guy, you're starting him even if the yeah, offense but, stinks. But here's the thing. Perriman's been good for like four games in his career with Jameis, who was chucking the ball 61 times a game. That's it. Hey, hey, those were a good four games, and we've got a 99th percentile speed score that we're going to hang on to for the rest of our damn lives, okay? Uh, you just pair him up. You know what? You can draft him, and you can draft Drew Bennett. You can pull Billy Volek out of <laughs> retirement. You'll be good to go. Maybe we can get – who is the receiver? Davis had this receiver for the – Stephen Hill. For the Jets. Oh yeah, second round pick. <laughs> second round pick, Stephen Hill. Hey, Perriman, first round pick. So, yeah, he was good. Well, well worth the first round pick. That, that turned out well. Yeah, it was great. Great news for them. Uh, Hawkinson. Would you rather have Hawkinson or Andrews? I would rather have Andrews and hope that Baltimore throws a little bit more and just scores a ton of points and. Andrews was still like fine last year. And I felt like things went about as bad as they could. Like the offense wasn't as sharp as it should have been. I feel like every week I was watching Andrews drop a touchdown pass. I don't know. I, I think the upside is a little bit more for Andrews. If you're playing more full PPR, or even like the tight end premium leagues, like Hawkinson's a little more interesting where like he, he could just get peppered with targets from Goff, and they're not super high value targets, but if you're in tight end premium and you're catching six balls a week, like you're going to have good, really good scores and you're going to start to separate yourself from the mid tier tight ends by a decent bit. So uh, in general though, I'm more into taking tight ends early in best ball because I think structurally it helps you do a lot of things that are really valuable and it's hard to make up for tight end points with quantity in a managed league. The opportunity cost is so high. I'm kind of with you where like all these guys don't have that great of floors. Like Hawkinson and Andrew, Andrews do have a little bit more floor of the guys after them. But in general, I think these guys get overdrafted in managed leagues where I'm really just trying to absolutely crush people at wide receiver and flex. And I, I want to stockpile as many of those, the guys that can help me do that as possible in this range. Would you rather have Pitts or Hawkinson? Because Pitts is going ahead of Hawkinson now. I'd rather have Pitts. I don't know. Am I, am I, Buying into the hype too much? I, th I think I'd rather have Pitts. I don't even think it's close. You don't think it's close, really? So you don't. You I don't, don't think, think it's close, like, Pat? I don't think it's close. I mean, these guys are drafted. I, I don't know. Listen, I'm no college football expert, but you know, Hawkinson had a lot of pedigree too coming out of college, as we remember. Yeah, but not. I mean, we've never seen a tight end with a. Oh, draft yeah, oh yes, we have. His says. name was Vernon Davis. Well, Vernon Davis was a monster and amazing and got ruined by Mike Singletary. Okay. So, and he was still really good. W did Vernon go that high in the draft though? I thought, did, I mean, I know did, he was, I feel like he went, 11. he went six. He went he six. Went six. That, yeah. So yeah. I feel like he so was the that, highest that drafted tight end ever when he was drafted. Yeah. Pro probably. Cause Pitts is the highest at four, but Pitts is, you know, he'd be a really good wide receiver prospect, not an elite one, but he'd be a really good wide receiver prospect. And I think he's entering the nut situation where 
They lose Julio, which opens up targets, but he's still got like protection from Calvin Ridley. He's on a team that's going to throw a ton. They're going to be bad. They have a good quarterback. They play in a dome. Like, I think it's just the stars are aligning for Kyle Pitts to really break the mold of rookie tight end failures. And I would take Pitts. Yeah, I'd take Pitts ahead of Hawkinson. He in high stakes, not even close. Maybe was a little dramatic. Well, it's it's starting to become not even close in high stakes leagues right now. Like it's Kelsey pick eight, Waller pick twenty four, Kittle pick thirty two, Pitts pick fifty one, Hawkinson pick sixty five, Andrews pick sixty six. It's possible that Kyle Pitts is a top two round pick next year. I don't know if that's possible for Hawkinson. Like I think Hawkinson is a chance like he's going to have a really good, really solid season, but, but Pitts I mean, could be the first tight end taken next year. I, I agree with you, but I do think that there's a significant downside with the now capital that you have to spend in order to draft him that I don't think that, I mean, yes, the, the monster upside rests with Pitts versus Hawkinson, but I think you're kind of diminishing how, how well Hawkinson can score in this offense just through attrition every single week and the consistency that you can probably mine from him, especially in PPR formats where Pitts could just not be good year one. Cause you, you've already alluded to it. Does he break the mold? He seems to have the talent to, but there's been a lot of talented wide or tight ends year one that haven't done anything. Yeah. It's, it's possible. I'm like in my mind, like I just, I don't see it going bad. Like I think the floor is actually there just because of this setup, but I could be wrong. And to your point about, Hawkinson getting there via attrition. He was what the T five last year and was like pretty boring. Like, so Hawkinson's very unlikely to hurt you. Like there's, he's not going to hurt you, which is rare from tight ends in round six or so. You mentioned, you know, thorn in my side. I have an Ingram who I've drafted in the past where like he has just been a killer. Uh, Hawkinson is probably not going to kill you. Well, just looking, it's funny when you kind of look at the range of outcomes of where these guys are going. So you have your average pick, but then you have the max pick and the min pick. So the max pick for Mark Andrews is 53. The max pick for TJ Hawkinson is 48. The max pick for Kyle Pitts, 17th. Yeah. I mean, people are drinking the Kool-Aid. I would not take him 17th. I want to be very clear here. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think where I would take him in like a managed non-tight end premium league like it's still probably like not till like the five six turn um so i'm probably not getting him but i think like hawkinson andrews i probably wouldn't take until seven in like a managed redraft does that sound about right or yeah i i think so i i think that some of these higher stakes leagues put more of a premium on tight ends who actually play. So then people don't have to worry about it all the time. Uh, I'm just going to look at the CBS and, and this is drawing information from like, you know, they don't allow you to sort by like last three weeks in terms of drafts, that kind of thing, because you know, why would anyone ever want to do that? Hawkinson's going around the same spot though, around like 70 overall. Yeah. It depends on your roster construction to that point. Like that, that seems fine. Yeah. Not exciting, but seems about right. not horrible at yeah. the same time. All right. Mike Leone, two hats, one Mike from EstablishTheRun.com. Tell everyone once again, what you got going on over there. Yeah. It's a lot going on, getting ready for the NFL season. We brought on Anthony Amico to do dynasty stuff for that. We're updating those dynasty ranks each week. I'm behind the scenes working on our rankings our staff rankings 
for every format possible, including DraftKings, Best Ball. So you can check that out. And then doing some podcasts and some content on the Establish the Run YouTube page, on the pod feed, and also running the Establish the Edge pod feed. Uh, make sure to check that out. We've had a lot of great content. Looking forward to producing even more up to and through the uh, duration of the NFL season. Do you play a lot of Dynasty? Because I feel like that's for people who have too much time on their hands. That's me. That's I'm one of those people. I'm a di- uh, Levitan refers to us as dynasty virgins. So <laughs> that sounds about right. It does sound about right. It's growing though, but it's kind of fun where like you, it makes the NFL draft and stuff like that more exciting. And yeah, but you, more strategy. Here, here's the thing. You can just bet on the NFL draft. That makes it exciting. I did. I had a very good NFL draft, uh, betting season this year betting on the nfl draft is awesome that's what you can do that is yeah but i'm in new york so it's hard for me to do that like i had a friend who was in colorado like on vacation at the time so he was like able to get like all the bets and you know i'm pretty limited in what i can do in new york well i mean we just passed our single sport betting law so now you can just cross the border what does it take you 15 minutes uh yeah when I can start crossing the border again. Yeah, I mean, once, so. once we allow you crazies back <laughs> in, but just buy a place in Canada. So then you won't even pay taxes on do, your bets. I don't have to do parlay tickets anymore? No, single game betting is going to be, I mean, once they like, it, it passed, so it's legal. Now they like the, the provinces have to institute it, but Ontario is just like, anyone who wants to buy a, a license can come on in. So everyone's going to be operating. <laughs> nice. Love it. So that's how we're going. So two hats, one mic on Twitter, establish the run.com, establish the edge podcast. If you want to go search it, I'm Pat May. You can follow me at the PME, Twitter, Instagram, the Facebooks. If you're an old, you can find it up there as well. The newsletters in the description, smash the like on the way out, sub to Mayo Media Network or the podcast feed for shows every single day. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time.